Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the Curtain Jerkers. I, of course, am talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC 250, Amanda Nunes versus Felicia Spencer. But as you guys know who frequent this podcast, we won't be talking about that or any of the exciting main card fights. And that's because this is the Prelim Primer. Now, while some of you are frequenters of the show and know that we already aren't going to do that, some of you might be new to the show and I want to explain to you exactly why do we do that? Why don't we talk about the main card? And the answer is really simple. The answer is that you guys probably have breakdowns and places where you go to get all of your knowledge about the main card. You might even already know a lot about the main card fighters. But you don't know a lot about the prelim fighters and you don't have a place to go for it. Well, now you do the prelim primer. And we hope that we can help you out on your daily fantasy sports. Or if you're a gambler, maybe find some good money bets on the prelims as well. But before we get to any of that great content, i got to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you train judo, jiu-jitsu, sambo, or kickboxing, they've got them all under one roof. You can log your training sessions and write yourself notes so that you can stay on top of your training and make your goals. Now, let's head on to the card. I, of course, need a co-host in order to break down these fights. Joining me today from bestfightpicks.com. You can also see him on the Half the Battle podcast, Daniel Levy. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Dan. How's it going, man? Absolutely great. It's always great when we got another night of fights to discuss. And these are pretty interesting prelims, too, because while the, the main card's kind of a little lackluster, I'm excited about some of the young names that are on these prelims. Uh, no doubt about it, man. And, I mean, I'm pumped for the whole card. I mean, if you're telling me that UFC-level fighters are getting into a fist fight on a Saturday night inside a steel cage and I get to watch it, uh, I'm all in. And then you look at some of the names on the card uh, – they had me at Sterling versus Sanhagen, but when you look at some of these prelims, like you alluded to, man, it's definitely a recipe for a lot of action, so I'm ready to get down to business, man. Absolutely. So let's get down to business. As you guys know, we start every round by putting five minutes on the clock, and we're going to start this round by talking about Alex Caceres versus Chase Hooper. So Caceres, 2-1 in his last three. He beat Martin Bravo, followed that up by getting rear naked choked by Cron Gracie, and then won a decision over Steven Ocho Peterson. Chase Hooper. Got ground and pound finish work on Daniel Tamer back in December. So obviously the hype on this fight comes in big on Hooper, right? But he's finally going to get to face somebody in this that's not only more experienced, but also has a very similar wiry frame to him. How do you think he deals with that wiry frame? So, man, it's really interesting because this fight almost reminds me of like the male version of Mackenzie Dern versus Hannah Cyphers, which we saw last week. And I don't know if you recall, because, look, everyone remembers the first-round submission. But up until that submission, Hannah Cyphers was actually winning all the stand-up exchanges. And I see this being kind of a similar situation where as long as the fight's contested on the feet, Bruce Leroy is just much more savvy. He knows how to strike a lot better. I think he's going to pick apart a guy like Chase Hooper. But all it's going to take is that one back take, that one takedown, or even – even if Hooper ends up on his back and he gets a sweep, because when he gets on top of Bruce Leroy or takes his back, the fight will be over shortly after. Now, the thing you got to look out for is if this fight goes all three rounds, that's where uh, things might get interesting because the last time Chase Hooper wasn't able to finish an opponent, he actually went to a draw 
with you know a guy with a losing record so everyone's saying oh you know alex caceres he's a 500 fighter and this is 100 percent true and he's been submitted a million times also but if he can somehow avoid being submitted here i mean we're talking about a guy that went five rounds with yair rodriguez in elevation right so he's very experienced if he can avoid this sub he can come out here and get the upset i just think that somewhere along the way Chase Hooper is probably going to take his back, full mount him, and finish the fight. So I'm going to go with uh, the young uh, prospect, Hooper. Yeah, I- I'm going to agree with you on that one. I am going to go Cooper- Hooper by uh, submission as well. The-, the analog to using Mackenzie Dern and Hannah Cyphers is such a good one. The only difference to me in this, too, is that I think Hooper is more physically dominant than uh, Mackenzie Dern was. You know, Hannah Cyphers is incredibly strong. She is probably stronger than Mackenzie Dern, and if she had backed away from that grappling exchange, she might have won that fight. But I think Chase Hooper has the physicality advantage over Alex Caceres here, and I think that's probably why he gets him down and he gets the sub, just like you said. And that brings us to our second fight, which is Ian Heinish versus Gerald Mearshart. So Heinish has lost two straight. He lost both to Omari Akhmedov and Derek Brunson. Mearshart is 2-1, and one, although he really should be 3-0 and oh in his last three. He subbed Trevin Giles and Darren Wynn in that stretch. He lost a split decision to Eric Anders, and I think I had him on the scorecard, so we're really looking at a guy who could be 3-0 in his last three. So here's my question for you. Heinish survived the submission game of Antonio Carlos Jr. of Shoeface. Do you think he has anything to worry about Mearshart given that fact? Yeah, absolutely. I think Mearshart's a lot tougher than Antonio Carlos Jr. I think he's a lot more experienced, and... Heinish wasn't the guy that exposed Carlos Jr. I think Dan Kelly did that a couple of years back, and he kind of showed that if Carlos Jr. can't get that early sub, he kind of loses confidence in there a bit. And Heinish was able to kind of, you know, uh, put some exclamation on that point. But here with Mershart, the thing that makes this fight so intriguing to me is that Mershart's not known for the best takedown defense, but what he is known for is the guy can sweep. You start to shoot with your head outside a little bit. I mean, he can snatch up that neck. And if this becomes a scramble fest, I really do favor Mershart in the spot. The thing with Heinish is that his two wins in the UFC, the names are great. He beat Cesar Ferreira and Antonio Carlos Jr. But when you actually look at those fights, they were a bit of comebacks. Now, I'm not saying he can't get a comeback here, but you know, relying on a guy at minus money to get a comeback just doesn't seem like the move. So I'll actually uh, uh, side with the more experienced guy and the underdog here. I'm going to go with Gerald Mershart to get it done. I also like Gerald Mearshart in this fight. I thought I was going to be going out on a limb here. I usually uh, butt heads with people on Gerald Mearshart. I'm a big believer in it, and for what you said too, right? Like, Ann Heinish is a guy who comes back and wins a lot of fights. Gerald Mearshart is a guy who typically you want to jump on early. You want to get him during his slow start because late in fights, he's just as dangerous as he is early in the fight. So I actually like Gerald Mearshart probably to get a submission here as well. I'm, I'm going to take him by sub. How do you see him getting it done? Yeah, no, I think the sub's definitely a a big possibility. We've seen how Heinish has been trying to force these takedown attempts against Brunson, against Omari Akhmedov, even against some of the jiu-jitsu guys. Well, more so with the jiu-jitsu guys, he was able to capitalize on them being completely gassed. I'm talking about Ferreira and Carlos Jr., and he was able to get those takedowns. But against guys where their cardio maintained throughout the three-round duration – it was a completely different story. So I think that as long as Mirshar's not out here gassing in the first round, he should be good to go. So, yeah, I mean, I could see a guillotine. I could also see, a, you know, a close decision as well. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it with the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break, talk to our sponsors, and we'll be right back with round number two. So just a quick reminder that this episode is brought to you by Maroon Social. Once again, Maroon Social is the 
all under one umbrella social media app for a martial arts enthusiast. So if you're training in martial arts, you need Maroon Social. One of my favorite features about it is that you can log your competitions. I can go back and look in time at any point in time, go back to March 7th maybe, flip through my Maroon Social. Oh yeah, I competed at Noggin, Albany at that time. I took first place with a heel hook. All of that is saved in one place. And I can go two years back or three years back because that's how long I've been a customer of Maroon Social. And I suggest that you get on it as soon as possible. Now, let's head on to round number two. And we are back with round number two. We're going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Cody Stamen versus Brian Keller. So Cody Stamen is 1-1-1 one, one, one in his last three. He lost to Aljamain Sterling, beat Alejandro Perez, and of course had that weird draw with Song Yedong, although a lot of people saw him winning that fight as well. Brian Keller is now on a two-fight win streak after subbing Odie Osborne back in January. He knocked out Hunter Azure less than a month ago and is getting the quick turnaround here. So... Here's my question for you. Kelleher sort of roared back to life in his last two. I do a little bit worry about the strength disadvantage he'll be at here because Cody Stamen is so strong. So how does Brian Kelleher go about nullifying that strength disadvantage? Well, I think if Kelleher is to win this fight, he's got to go out there and make this a dirty fight and not play at the distance that Cody uh, Stamen wants. Because one thing about Cody Stamen is the guy knows how to win fights. He knows his distance perfectly, and he doesn't take any unnecessary risks. That's something I really like about him. I think he's one of the most underrated guys in the Bantamweight division. And uh, shout out to the odds makers because, you know, uh, I-, I was thinking that maybe Kelleher was going to be a little bit overhyped here or overvalued, but they actually got the line right. And, you know, the reason I said that is because, you know, Kelleher is coming off two straight wins, two straight finishes, two straight bonuses, Dan. But the thing is, the guys he was in there with, and no, not to discredit them, but the facts are those were two UFC rookies. Now he's going up there against a very seasoned guy. And like you said, I thought Cody Stamen not only beat Song Yadong, I thought he broke him. I thought he decisively won that fight. So when they announced the scorecards, I was in as much uh, disbelief as anyone watching, man. It was unlike anything I'd ever seen before. But uh, in this specific matchup, I think that as long as Cody's been taking it seriously and he's doing his thing, he should come out here and win. It's just uh, I actually kind of heard recently that he's been going through some stuff behind the scenes and, you know, something with his family. So I'm not sure if he's 100 percent focused. So that's why I personally am not going to bet Cody's statement in this spot, but I'm going to pick him to win. But, you know, knowing what we know, maybe maybe it's worth taking a shot on the underdog. It's just I I think that Cody Stamen has his number here. So we'll see how it plays out, Dan. Yeah, I kind of agree with you here on Cody Stamen. I think he is a guy who doesn't take unnecessary risks. And like you said, Brian Kelleher is a guy who capitalizes on unnecessary risks or rookie mistakes. So the fact that he's facing a guy here where he might have to force it a little bit more, I just think is a recipe for disaster. Um, And like you said, Cody, Cody Stamen might have other things going on in his life. You know, I don't know too much about that, but... And the same token, I think he's got a really good base to lean on. I think his wrestling's solid here, and I think he probably gets the decision victory. And that's going to take us to our second fight of this round, where we're going to talk about Alex Perez versus Juicy A for Amiga. Two top 10 flyweights, which is crazy to see on the prelims. Perez is 5-1 in the UFC. His only losses to Joseph Benavidez. He's got back-to-back victories from there over Mark De La Rosa and Jordan Espinoza. Formiga is on the first two-fight losing streak of his career. Of course, they are reputable losses to the aforementioned Joseph Benavidez and Brandon Moreno. So here's my question for you. 
In every single fight, Alex Perez has landed a takedown, with the exception of one really quick knockout win he has over Shorty Torres. Is there any chance that he is able to take down a grappler like Juicy A. Formiga? And if so, can he control him there? Well, to answer your first question, there's absolutely a chance he goes out there and takes down uh, Juicy A. Formiga. Now, controlling him... That, that's a completely different question. That I cannot confirm, but I do think he's going to land a takedown or two. And look, Alex Perez is a very, very talented guy, but I feel like some people might be overhyping him just a bit. When you look at the caliber of wins he has, and you know, I, I hate doing stuff like that because I really like looking at you know the stylistic matchup and the skills the kid brings to the table, and you can only beat the guys they put in front of you, but... Literally all his UFC wins, when we say bottom of the barrel, Dan, we're talking about Alex Perez's wins inside the octagon because, uh, you know, if you're a top 10 guy, yeah, of course you beat Jordan Espinosa, Mark De La Rosa, Charles Condit Thomas or whatever his name is and, you know, these other guys. Like, I understand, but Juicy Formiga, in order to beat a guy like that, you need to be top five level. And when you go back and you watch that that Brandon Moreno fight, I, I think people need to watch it before they hear what I'm about to say. And what I'm about to say is that looked like a future title challenger to me. Brandon Moreno looked unbelievable in that fight versus Formiga. I don't think it was a case of exposing the blueprint. I think it was more so credit to how great Brandon Moreno looked. Ever since he got cut from the UFC, he went back to the regional scene, paid his dues, and now you look at him, it's like a completely different man. So I think that was more so what Brandon Moreno did right as opposed to what Juicy A. Formiga did wrong. But in this specific matchup, yes, there is a path to victory for Alex Perez. You know, take him down, stay on top, and, you know, avoid any precarious spots on the mat. The thing is that, that being said, you know, when, when he starts shooting and if you start getting a little tired, it only takes one back take with a guy like Formiga to potentially get the submission or to just ride you out for the duration of that round. So the odds makers actually open Formiga the favorite. All the actions come in on the now favorite, um, Alex Perez. So I, I'm going to actually side with the bookmakers here, and I'm going to go with the underdog uh, Formiga to get this upset win. I, I'm going to go with Formiga as well. I, I think you're 100% right on that, that like the, the people who he is taking down and the people who he is showing his wrestling dominance against aren't the caliber that Formiga is. And, and you mentioned that Brandon Moreno looks like a title challenger. You're 100% right. And he had a close fight with him. He even took a round off of Brandon Moreno. And I would also add that people forget this guy beat Davidson Figueredo. The guy who all of us see is the uncrowned champion of the flyweight division right now. So, like, he is a guy who took him down three times. So, yeah, I I'm with you all the way here. I'm glad that the bookmakers have had him as a favorite, and I'm glad that everybody else has bet it the other way because, yeah, it, it does look like kind of a juicy line here for Juicy A Formiga. And that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We're going to come back with our last three fights in our third round after a quick break from our sponsors. Hey guys, one more quick reminder here about Maroon Social. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiasts. The coolest thing that you can do on there is you can chat with your friends. Maybe your friend has moved away. Maybe they now live states away. You used to train with them all the time. You wonder how their training's going. I wonder all the time about my training partners who moved away. Maroon Social is the way that you can keep in contact with them. You can send them a little OS, or you can also do things like comment on their training, give them a little couple of pointers or encouragement, whatever it is you do. In whatever way that you want to stay in contact with him, Maroon Social is the way to do that. Now, let's head on to round number three.
And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Charles Bird versus Maki Pitolo. Charles Bird, after winning in his debut, has been TKO'd in back-to-back fights by Darren Stewart and Edmund Shabazian. Maki Pitolo lost his debut to Cowan Potter back in October. So both men are coming off losses. Which do you see better things from in those losses? Man, it's a it's an interesting fight, and I could see a case for it being a pick 'em. The reason that it's not is because I think Charles Bird is the more skilled guy. It's just a a thing where, and I, I know he probably wouldn't like hearing this, but he's a little bit on the older side. So sometimes, you know, it's not it's not always the skill of the man. Sometimes it's the will of the man. And one thing we know about these Hawaiian warriors is that you know they come to fight, and Mackie Patolo is no exception. This guy definitely comes to fight. It's just that man so many questionable decisions in there you know one thing about charles bird is that you know he's losing these fights uh fair and square you know he, he was winning most of the darren stewart fight got caught with a big elbow never recovered got caught with elbows against edmund shabazian you know never recovered there too but it wasn't really like a fight iq thing it was just more so he got caught by younger fresher fighters and that's just what it was and that could so happen here too it's just uh, if this plays out over a three-round duration, I really do think that Charles Bird is the more skilled guy. I think he comes from a better camp over there at 4-7 to seven May, and I think if he comes out here with the right game plan, doesn't get caught along the way, he can win. You know, with Pitolo, he's too content to stand in the pocket and brawl until one man falls, and I love that style. He's a Hawaiian warrior. I'll always watch the guy fight. I mean, that fight with Callan Potter was, was absolutely amazing to watch. It was a slobber knocker. It's just that I'm not sure how long you can maintain that style for at the highest level. And when you're losing to low-level guys like Callum Potter, how's it going to translate against higher-level guys? Not not that Charles Bird is that big of a step up. I'm just saying I think Charles Bird is the more skilled guy here, and if that he doesn't get caught with the knockout blow, he's probably going to come out on top here. Yeah, I 100% agree with you here, too. And it's also worth noting that Maki Pizzolo is coming up to 185 pounds for this because he did fight his last fight at 170. He fought his contender series bout at uh, 185. So he has fluctuated back and forth. So it sounds like you're you're taking Charles Bird just reluctantly here. Well, I mean, I think when you look at a minus 170 line, I, I'm not trying to you know, lay it on a guy who might be one or two fights away from retirement. So, yeah, at the betting window, I'm definitely reluctant. But as a pure pick, since I think Charles is the more skilled guy, I'll go with him. All right, I'm going to go with Maki Pizzolo. I think he is going to land that big knockout blow. And, and you know how the, what they say about knockouts. They, they seem to be you know, cumulative. It seems like once you get knocked out a couple of times, you're going to keep getting knocked out. Maki's got the hand, so I'm going to go with Maki with his puncher's chance here. And that brings us to our next fight, which we mentioned Fortis MMA. We got another Fortis MMA guy right here with Alonzo Menafield, who's fighting Devin Clark. Menafield 2-0 in the UFC with first-round KOs of Vinicius Morea and Paul Craig. Clark is 2-1 in his last three. He beat Darko Stoizic, had a guillotine loss to Ryan Spann, speaking of Fortis MMA, and then he lost a decision, or won a decision, rather, over Daquan Townsend. So Menafield has disposed of his opponents very quick on the feet. But it's worth noting both of those guys are grapplers. Do you believe he's for real and can do the same to, to Devin Clark here? Or do you think Devin Clark has got a little bit more than the other two? Well, I do think Devin Clark's got a little bit more than the other two, but I don't think that's going to matter here. I think that Alonzo Menafield uh, is one of my favorite prospects at 205 pounds. The guy's a beast. You know, I actually watched his entire MMA career last night, you know, starting from his pro debut till his uh, last fight with Paul Craig and the guys really developed so much and you know there's a lot of myths 
surrounding uh, Alonzo Menafield, one of them being that he can't grapple, which is complete BS, Dan. Because uh, if you go back and you watch some of his LFA fights, some of his regional fights, uh, when people try to shoot on him, this guy gets his underhook super fast. And I've seen him choke guys out before. I've seen him take the back. I've seen him do the whole bit. And I know people are going to refer back to that Daniel Jolly fight where they did see him on his on his back. But my, my whole you know response to that is, firstly, he was 3-0. and I mean, you recall another prospect in Jamal Hill who had a very dominant result last week. And, you know, people are criticizing Jamal Hill's fights from when he was 3-0, like getting taken down. Guys, when when people have had under 10 pro fights, they're going to be making these huge leaps fight by fight, especially freak athletes like that. Now, while I don't think that Alonzo has the same ceiling as a Jamal Hill, I still think he can make it to the top 15 one day. And uh, But back, back to that Daniel Jolly fight I was talking about where he got taken down. So... One thing people conveniently leave out is that he absorbed a very, very hard low blow like a couple seconds prior to being taken down. So to me, you know, he's recovering a bit. It's not like he got his guard passed or anything. I mean, he maintained full guard, uh, prevented any kind of offense from his opponent. And when the ref said it was time to stand up, they stood back up. So I, I think this kid's made the proper improvements. And Devin Clark, you know, yeah, he's athlete, he's athletically talented. He's got UFC experience. He's tough. But man, I... Uh, I don't like that he leaves his chin up in the air. I don't like how he responds to taking punches. And I think that if he's not able to hump the leg of Alonzo Menafield for three straight rounds, that this will be another canvas nap uh, <laughs> win for uh, Alonzo Menafield. So I'm going to go with Menafield via vicious knockout here, man. Yeah, I'm going to go with the same thing here, too. And what you said about him making big leaps, I think it's so important, right? Like, Fortis MMA has proven that they come out with a great game plan for whoever they're fighting, and they get the best out of their fighters. And getting the best out of a freak athlete like Alonzo Menafield here, I think he's got a great chance to stuff the takedowns of Devin Clark. And even if he conceded one or two, I could totally see him coming out and getting the knockout in the second. So I'm going to go Menafield knockout as well. And that brings us to our third and final fight, which is kind of an extra fight. The UFC haven't even officially announced this fight yet. And that's Evan Dunham versus versus Herbert Burns. Dunham has taken nearly two years off, and it's been nearly four years since he won a fight. He lost back-to-back knockouts to Olivier Aubon-Mercier and Francisco Trinaldo. Burns, meanwhile, KO'd Nate Landwehr in his debut with an incredible knee. So the the question is simple. How worried are you about Evan Dunham's layoff and where his headspace is essentially retiring before this fight? Well, I'm not worried at all because I'm not betting on Evan Dunham. <laughs> but look, man, it's one of those things where, you know, Evan Dunham's a true warrior. You know, I, I know you recall the fight he had with TJ Grant, the Rafael Dos Anjos fight. I mean, truly one of my favorite lightweights, uh, you know, back in the day. Just a guy that puts it all on the line every single time, win, lose, or draw. So he's definitely a guy we got to tip our caps to. It's just that when you retire – you retire for a reason, man, and he retired for a reason. And n- not only does he not take the same, you know, the punishment the same as he used to. I mean, as evidence to when you're getting dry, when you're getting finished in under a minute by Olivier Aubin Mercier, and then and then the next fight against Trinaldo, the only reason it you know lasted up until the second round is because Dunham was running away the entire fight. He wanted no part of exchanging. Now Dunham's a very skilled guy. If he doesn't eat that fight-ending blow, this fight could be a sweat for Burns betters. It's just that. One thing about Herbert Burns, and oftentimes, you know, brother tandems or family tandems, there's the good one and the bad one. But in this specific case, both the Burns brothers are badasses. And, you know, I actually bet on Herbert Burns against uh, Nate Landwehr in that debut. And then I bet on Nate Landwehr in his fight against Elkins. So 
I, I like what Herbert Burns brings to the table, man. Um, people just think of him as just this jujitsu guy, but actually the entries to his takedowns are very, very on point. If, if, if no one told you that this was Gilbert Dorino's brother and that he's Brazilian and you just saw his entries, you'd think the guy's a D1 wrestler. Then, then you take it a step further, Dan. You see his attacks on the mat. You see what he does with that jujitsu black belt. You're like, okay, this guy's the complete package on the mat, but how's his stand up? Well, how about a first-round knockout over the former M1 champ, Nate Landwehr, in his last fight? He's coming out here with his hands high. He's firing to the body. He's really he's punching with both hands. Uh, I'm pretty damn impressed with this guy, and I think the odds makers lined them over 3-1 to one for a reason. And another thing I want to bring to the table is they're fighting at 150-pound catchweight. So Dunham, who already had a notoriously soft body, is going to have to cut an extra 5 pounds. Uh so, yeah, I, I don't think the odds favor him here. I'm going to go with Herbert Burns inside the distance. Yeah, I'm going to go Herbert Burns inside the distance, too. I'm, I'm going to go with knockout, actually, too, or TKO uh, to get a little bit more specific. Because, you know, Dunham is known for his jiu-jitsu. And that also is what worries me if, if you were even considering picking Evan Dunham in this fight. Is that, like, this is a guy who's relied on his jiu-jitsu a lot over his career. And he is fighting a guy who is undoubtedly more athletic and probably has better jiu-jitsu than him. So, you know, like, that really limits his past the victory and as a result I, I think you got to go with Herbert Burns and, and I think he probably finishes him so and that's going to do it for all seven of our fights we hope you guys enjoyed our quick breakdown although we went a little over in round number three seven fights in 15 ish minutes we hope you guys learned something as well I want to thank my co-host for today Daniel Levy once again you can follow him on Twitter at Best Fight Picks, bestfightpicks.com, and you can listen to the Half the Battle podcast and get all of this information as well as information on the main card. Thanks again, Dan. Thank you so much for having me, and big thanks to your listeners, and I hope to speak soon.